0: Before we, we jump in, if you're taking notes and you want to get ahead, get prepared, we're going to be in Second Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're in a, a new series called Renew, last week J.O. talked about renewing the mind, how many of you benefited greatly from that teaching? Yeah. It was awesome, um, that is such a, an important teaching and um, God has so much to say about Uh, What our minds are and how they can be renewed, and I think there's a lot of hope and good news in in that alone. Um, We're going to be in kind of a similar vein this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write down Renew Part 2, a Renewed Perspective. Perspective. How many of you know perspective is everything? The glass is either half full or half empty. Either way, the glass is where it's at. It just depends on how you look at it in life. Uh, really in a lot of ways comes down to perspective. I wanted to, before we jump into 2 Corinthians this morning, present, um, I'm going to present two different perspectives to you, one from 2 Corinthians, but one I want to present to you, um, this life that we're living is really a story, each and every one of us had a beginning and we're currently in the middle of it at some place or another, whether you're 26 or you're... 46 or 56, wherever it is that you're, you're at, there's this story. There's these dynamics happening, relationships and situ- situations and circumstances, and we're evolving, and it will have an end at some point, at least in regards to this natural life on this side of eternity. That story will continue on into eternity. Uh, that is the good news of Jesus Christ. For those of us who believe in him, we will have uh, a whole nother chapter to the story that will never end and will be in God's presence forever. And that really is um, the greater narrative. And I want to make point of this. It's really important. We live in a a culture and a society that um, is in in a unique place, especially as Americans, where the story that we're very consumed with is often our own. It's a very individualized story. The story is trying to be written well right now. We're talking a lot about self-help and self-care. And it's a very ambitious story. And I don't think there's necessarily inherently anything wrong with that. Um, But I think as Jesus followers, we have to understand that the story that we're a part of is not our own individual story. There's this, what philosophers would call is a meta-narrative, which is a a grander story, a bigger story, one that's outside of any individual or sub-community. And that is the story that God is telling and is writing. And I want to share this specifically with you this morning. How that story started is it started like this. In Genesis chapter 1, this story, this is very unique. Don't glaze over this when you're reading Genesis. It says that the earth was formless and void. And that God breathed into that formless and void reality and gave life to it and lied to it and said it was good. That's really important for us to understand because the story That we're a part of, which is God's story, is the story of a God who takes things that are wild and chaotic, formless, with formless, without void. The Hebrew mind, when they would have read that, they would have really seen this kind of wild, chaotic wilderness and desert. I was in the desert this week, I was in Joshua Tree, and I was just, as we were driving, I was just looking out at Joshua Tree and thinking to myself, that place is wild and chaotic. There's this sense of fear about it, like it's dangerous, it's barren. And I was reminded that the God that I believe in and we believe in and the God who's telling a greater story, the one that we get the privilege of being a part of, is the God who takes wild and barren, formless places and breathes life into them. The other narrative that we're tempted to believe is the one that says the grass is greener on the other side. And if you're anything like me, you have hopefully quickly realized, and if you haven't yet, you can choose to believe a different narrative. The grass is not really greener on the other side. But the narrative that we've been been given is that we have a God who takes what's dry and broken and wild and chaotic and breathes into that. And waters that. And I think there, my hope, and what I would propose to you this morning is if you have been tempted to believe a narrative that says life is always greener on the other side, and you're discontent, and you're looking, you're trying, you're striving to get somewhere else that you're not currently at. And and I get there's a part of faith where we're always thinking ahead and believing for what God has ahead of us. That's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a real heart posture that's dissatisfied with where you're currently at because you're convinced that there's something outside of you that, that You're fantasizing about that. If you could only get there, it would be better. And let me encourage you this morning. God has something better for you, but it's going to be done through taking the wilderness that is inside of you, the wild place inside of you, the dry place inside of you, and breathing into that and watering that. Like, there's this question that we always ask as a society. What would you do if you won the lottery? That question is so dumb. (laughs) So many of us, none of us, has anybody in here ever won the lottery? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) You're either secretly really rich or you once were and now you're poor again, like 50% of the people who do. Why? Because the grass is not really greener on the other side. But we always ask, what would you do if someone gave you a million dollars? But it's kind of a silly question because that reality is not actually real. Like that's never going to happen, yet we always fantasize about it. But what is real is that the God of the universe gave us his Holy Spirit. I felt like God's been prompting me recently with this question. Connor, what would you do if I just totally poured out my spirit upon you? What would you do if you fully tapped into this depth of love and understanding and compassion that I've made available to you? I actually have access to that. Because the narrative that we believe, the story that we're a part of, is the God who sees wild, chaotic, dry, barren places that each and every one of us have in our souls. And he pours and breathes life into those places. Which story do you believe today? Like I think that should be foundational inside of us. Are we people who are always looking at the grass on the other side thinking it's greener than it really is? Or are we people who say my God is the God who takes formless and void things and shapes them and brings order and structure and life and beauty to them? Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Don't go there yet. (laughs) Well, you can go there, but I'm going to propose a question to you first. Landon, you're doing a great job, buddy. Love you. In light of me bringing up the whole lottery thing, I'm going to bring up another question to you that's worth considering but not really real. If I were to come to you today and say... I'll give you a brand new car. It's already been paid for. Flumin Giants are laughing. It's already it's already been paid for. It's the perfect car for you. You actually you can pick whatever car you want. Some of you you know you're you're retired. You don't have kids anymore. A Mustang convertible would be a better fit for you. Other like the Milligans, other people you got like 20 kids. A van, <laughs> a 20 passenger van would be. I'm no, just kidding. You're like. If I came and gave Beth a Mustang, you'd probably be super excited, but it wouldn't be super functional. It's like, you know, you can't fit all the kids in the Mustang. Maybe you can pack some of them in the trunk, but it's Idaho. You know, we can do stuff like that. It's not illegal. <laughs> but if I came and I, and I offered you a new car, no strings attached, bills are paid, it's free, it's yours. How many of you would accept that offer? I would imagine that would be everybody. And and the same thing, if I came to you and I said, I have a house for you. It's the right amount of rooms, the right amount of bathrooms. It's got everything you need, brand new, it's free. Bobby's like, yep, I'll take it. How many of you would take the new house? Absolutely. It's like, duh, who wouldn't? And and the reason why I bring that up is because I think sometimes we often wonder to ourselves, only if I could have this thing that I don't have, if I could have this new stuff, and and not just new for the sake of, most of us are not necessarily vain people who need all this luxury and we find value in that. Most of us just want something that's new, that's fresh, that can fully cater to everything that we need and and can give us a really, really good life, that can give us comfort and safety and provision, and, and we want to have that type of security. But if we're all being honest, that's not often our reality. Really quickly, because all of us in this room are pretty much above the age of 10, what we've come to know is that life can get really tired and really old and really run down and really used and really abused really, really quickly. And there's this tension inside of us because we want the new. We want the shiny, we want the comfortable, we want the lush, we want the plush, we want safety, we want security, we want comfort. But often our external circumstances and our situations and even the internal reality inside of us is conflicted because we don't feel that way. Have you ever been there before? Where you feel like life is, is tired, life is old It begins to manifest itself in apathy and depression and anxiety and hopelessness, whatever it might be. And there's this this discontent inside of us where we don't know what to do. Sometimes we often come to the end of our rope because our heart is yearning for something new. It's yearning for something fresh, but everything feels really old. Well, I have good news for you this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he speaks to us today that for those of us who are in Christ, who have put our faith in Jesus, we are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. How many of you believe that this morning? How many of you still feel really, really new? Those are the super saints. (laughs) How many of you, if you'd be willing to, and if you don't raise your hand, that doesn't mean that you're not answering yes, but how many of you would be willing to say, Connor, I have put my faith in Jesus, but I don't feel really new. I feel a little bit old. I feel a little bit tired. I'm not talking about your age. I feel a little burnt out. I feel a little run down. I feel a little exhausted. And I'm yearning for the new thing inside of me. I know that there's this newness, and I think whether your hand is raised or not, at some point, if you're not there, not that I'm speaking this over us in a a condemning way, but we all kind of come to that place in existence where, and this is where the tension gets even greater because in our head, intellectually, we've read the scriptures, and the scriptures are saying to us that we're new creations in Christ, so there's this greater hope, this greater expectation, this greater standard inside of us, yet life still feels Really old. Like if you look at the history of some of the revival movements, some of the criticisms of the revival movements in our country is that many people showed out to these um, what were they called? Crusades. And they responded with a hand raised to an invitation to follow Jesus to be new creations in Christ. But then a lot of people wanted to follow up and see what actually happened in those people's lives after they made that response. And many of those people fell away from the faith and never actually had true transformation in their lives. And I think the reason for that is because sometimes there's this cognitive dissonance, this disconnect in our brain and our heart, where we know that we're new creations. We want to be new people in Jesus. We want a fresh start. We believe that Jesus has offered us to that. Yet a lot of our life still feels really, really old, and we don't know what to do with that tension. We don't know how to understand it, so we return back to the old. What I want to do this morning as we go through 2 Corinthians is give you a renewed, refreshed understanding on what it means to be new. You ready? Here we go. First thing, let me, let's read it. Let's do that. Let's actually read the scriptures. Good idea, Connor. Here we go. 2 <laughs> Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 17. This is in the ESV. <clears throat> it says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we were once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation, the old is passed away, behold, the new has come. Will you put it up in the message? This is what it says in the, the message. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. Take note of that. And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, a new life burgeons. Look at it. The first point that I want to make to you this morning about what it means to be new is the newness that happens is something internal, not external. This is really, really important. A little bit of context to what's going on here in 2 Corinthians, why this is so important to this reality. Paul is writing to this church, and there's a lot of tension between Paul, the apostle who's pastoring this church and the people who are a part of it. And the tension has kind of come to this place. The people no longer, because Corinth is a very powerful city. It's extremely rich, extremely wealthy. It's kind of this cultural hub at the time. It was a trade city. And they're doing their best to follow Jesus and walk in his ways, but they're still caught up in a lot of the ways of that world and that reality. And there's a lot of sins that are being talked about in the church in Corinth. So Paul, being a good pastor, a good apostle that he is, he's writing pastorally to these people to correct these sins. To lead them and guide them, to get them to repent and move forward because of the holiness that awaits them. But they refuse to do that. And they come to this point where it's not just about not listening to Paul. The reason why they don't want to listen to Paul is because externally, Paul doesn't look like the apostle that they think that he should. Paul was a poor person. He was a laborer. He was a tradesman. He was often persecuted and lived homeless. And there were these other super apostles, kind of like, um, yeah, we'll just call them super apostles. <laughs> and they looked really, really good. And they uh, had really um, big speaking request requests. Uh, ass of the church in Corinth and and, and the church in Corinth really wanted to listen to those people because they were really eloquent. That was the other thing about Paul. Paul was not an eloquent speaker at all. He was just like, Jesus loves you. He's died for you. You should repent and turn from all your sin. And those people wanted to be like, let's have a 45 minute sermon and let me tell you about all the philosophies and theologies and give you this really roundabout way to tell you that Jesus loves you. He's died for you. You should repent from all your sins. So They don't wanna listen to Paul because Paul's not this super apostle and Paul doesn't look the way that he should externally. Paul must not be this real new creation. Therefore, we're not gonna submit to his authority. And what Paul is trying to communicate to us from the onset, what it means to be new has nothing to do with what our external circumstances look like. It has everything to do with the new internal reality that Jesus has made possible because of his life, death and resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What it means to be a new creation, because this is often the tension, we respond to Jesus, we begin to follow his ways, but our external world looks really the same as it used to. And there's a conflict inside of us. Like we come to a church gathering on a Saturday night, we respond, but we go back and our friends are still the same. And they're inviting us and tempting us in to do immoral things that we just confess that Jesus could save us from. Yet we fall back into them because of our external realities. And then something inside of us is wondering, am I really new or not? Because I'm thinking about my external realities, not the internal realities that God has made possible to change. And we have to understand that because, friends, as much as God can actually physically change an external reality on this side of eternity, and we believe that he does that, the miracle of salvation is not something that happens externally, but something that happens internally in our hearts. It's a heart set free from depression and anxiety and worry. It's a mind set free from the images and the marks that have been made on it one that's transformed and renewed. It's a spirit that is no longer subject to fear and intimidation, a soul that stands courageous regardless of what it comes against or what comes against it or anything that would try to destroy it or tear it down. It's a soul that says, I'm willing to stand. If God is for me, no one can be against me. To be a new creation in Christ doesn't actually necessarily mean that a whole lot might change externally now we believe that we're in a process and, and certain things will change and absolutely I think that our external reality will be shaped by what's going on internally we actually can look at ourselves and think and read our external reality and it can reveal to us what's going on internally but at the end of the day what's most important is the newness and the renewal and the healing that happens inside of us that can't be dictated or changed by external circumstances or circumstances or situations. To be new is to be healed on the inside. Is that enough for you? We have to ask this question because we listen to Paul, the one who wrote those who are in Christ are new creations. We have to know that this was written by a man, again, who was once a man of great stature, great religious authority. He was a Pharisee. He actually had the scriptures memorized. He had great wealth. He had great social status. And Jesus invited him to be a new creation, and he was willing to lay all of that down to step into the newness that came with the internal healing inside of him. But it came with the cost of poverty. It came at the cost of labor. It came at the cost of not being eloquent. Are we willing to be new creations? Are we willing to cultivate and and be obedient to the internal healing that God is doing in our life, even if it, it comes with a lack of change externally? Like, are you okay to commit all of your obedience and your faith in Jesus if things around you are slow to change? Knowing that God is doing a deep healing and freeing on the inside of you that can give you the power and the peace and the courage to live this life regardless of what happens around you. That's what it means to be a new creation in Christ. This is the last kind of main thing that I, I want to present to you. Sorry, <laughs> a brain fart. Like, what's going on? Where am I? <laughs> Still early, Seth, you know what I mean? <laughs> this is going to be like kind of 30,000 feet but also ground level what i've learned about what i'm learning about what it means to be a new creation is that foundationally it's understanding that something new is inside me internally like i'm a totally i was saying this last night i ran i've been kind of running into people who i used to go to high school with that i haven't really seen since then and it's been almost 10 years now, and I wonder to myself, when they see me, who do they think that I am? <laughs> do they think that I was the kid I was ten years ago? God, I hope not <laughs> But I just I really why it's almost funny because I've been set free from all that guilt and shame and condemnation, and I just wonder who who do they think that I am because I'm such a different person like. And, again, externally, a lot of my, I look the same, I think, for the most part. (laughs) You know, seriously, a lot hasn't changed externally. But internally, I'm like, I am such a different person. And that's what it means to be new. And that process, because it is a process of being a new creation, when I'm learning more than anything about it, what it means to be new. And, and I hope you catch this, this this morning. This is what I think I really have to offer you. What it means to be a new creation in Christ is to be one who comes to Jesus and says, God, I, I don't know anything about what it means to be alive and human not in a, a hyper-dramatic way where you're literally like, I don't know anything because obviously that's not true, but we submit ourselves to Jesus. And we say, I, I don't know what it means to love. I don't know what it means to be a friend. I don't, I don't know what it means to be human. Will you teach me all over again? Think about it this way. If I came to you today and I said, I'm offering you, again, another hypothetical offer. This is not real. This won't happen. But run with me. I said, I'll give you a new chance at a fresh life. I have a plane ticket, a one-way ticket to a foreign country. You have a new passport. You have a new identity. And you're related to the king of that country. So you have great wealth. You have, you have great resources. You have great opportunity. You can leave everything That you used to know behind you. And you can go to this place and you can have a fresh start. Many of you, now again, obviously this is hypothetical, but you might take that opportunity because there's something inside of us that truly wants something new and fresh. But the caveat is this. That new place is truly new. There's a new language. There's a new culture. There's a new type of people. There's a new king and a new ruler. Now, if you get there and you have this new fresh start, but you you approach this new place and you approach this new existence with your old understanding of what it means to be human, you'll grow really frustrated really quickly. Like, have you ever gone to a foreign country without knowing the language? How fun was that? Now, that's a part of going to a foreign place. If you were willing to learn the language, it actually would be this really beautiful, wild adventure that is really hard at first, but again, becomes super fun, and, and you become one of the people. And you would learn, have you ever, when you first got to that country, you ate a local native food? You didn't go to like the Americanized restaurants, but you went to a local place? How did that sit inside of you? <laughs> Maybe not so well. It's because it's foreign. But if you were to remain in that country and you were to commit to the food and the culture and the cuisine of the people, your body would naturally change and it would become a, it would adapt to those foods and, and waters and, and things like that. And it no longer would have the same effect on you. The reason why I bring that up is I think sometimes we respond to Jesus and we say, I want a new life, I want to be a new creation but we're unwilling to leave our old ways and our old perspectives and our old thoughts behind us. And we step into the kingdom of God. We step into this new existence that he offers us with our old thoughts and our old intentions and our old things that we're holding to, And we grow really, really frustrated because we were not willing to learn a new language and a new culture and a new way of life. Are you willing to learn anything and everything that God would teach you new about what it means to be human, to be fully alive? And are you willing to truly leave all the old things behind you? I've come to this place, and I'm only 26 years old. I have a lot to learn. But I've literally come to this place, and every single day, as long as I'm consciously aware of it, what I'm trying to do is say, God, and this again is going to be extreme, bear with me here. God, I know nothing. Like, I want to come to this place of true humility where I come before the Lord with no predispositions, no biases. And I'm human. I have some of that. It's hard to get rid of all of it. But I just, at a foundational level, just humble myself before God in my marriage. And I say, God, I don't know what it means to love a woman. All the men said amen. (laughs) But you do. I need you to teach me what it means to love again. I'm willing to leave behind me everything that I once learned about what it means to love a woman. Things that are debanked and have no real substance to them and no real power or real love in them. They're really shallow and really selfish. I'm willing to leave all of that behind me and actually step into this really vulnerable kind of alone place where things feel really, really out of control, but I know that you're with me and I know that you'll lead me and teach me and guide me. I'm willing to step into that place because I'm leaving the old behind me. Will you teach me and show me what it means to love and be alive? Like maybe you're in this place today, maybe you're a single person. We always talk about married people. Let's talk about singleness for a minute. Singleness is, and I'm, I'm a married person, so take it for what it's worth. Singleness is not a burden it's not a curse our savior was single now granted i understand he has certain things that he had to accomplish because he was the messiah and all that but he he was single it's possible to be single and to be holy and to be fully satisfied in jesus now our old ways and the ways of the world tells us even sometimes the ways of the church tells us that that's a lesser way of living. Are we willing to lay that behind us and to come before Jesus and say, Lord, show me what it means to be single and satisfied? Maybe you are married and your marriage has been on the rocks for years or for a really long time, whatever it may be. Are you willing to come before God and say, I'm willing literally to lay behind me all the old things? Now, it doesn't mean that we throw everything away because maybe you've gone through years of great counseling. You should probably hold on to the things that are of God. But just in general, are we willing to put ourselves before God in a very humble way and say, Lord, teach me, show me all over again, I'm willing to fully submit all of what I think and all of my pride before you because I know that you want to show me this new way, this fresh way of existence, one that uh, where I'm fully alive and fully human and fully satisfied and able to step into all that you have for me that's totally different than the old world. How many of you in here would consider yourself a disciple of Jesus? Jesus. Do you know what that word disciple actually means? It means to be a learner. I came to this realization pretty recently, kind of a painful revelation, where I felt like the prompting of God inside of me was Connor, you're much more of a knower than you are a learner. You think you know everything, which some of you are like, you're 26 you know nothing i know <laughs> and this just it's a perspective thing it's a an internal thing this shift happened inside of me it seems kind of subtle might not be super profound but it was the shift inside of me that said you're right god because you're god <laughs> i don't know everything I'm doing my best to know as much as I can. I'm doing my best to learn. I'm doing, I'm committed to the process, but I never want to come to this place where I think I've arrived and I know everything about something because the moment we do that, we put a cap on what God can do inside of us. And what happens in this process of life is, We're new creations in Christ, but we've come to this place where we've committed to our old understandings. And when we do that, we put a cap on what God can do. And there's this great tension and frustration and heartbreak inside of us because we know that we're new, but everything feels old because we're holding on to the old things, not stepping in vulnerably to the new way of existence that God has for us. sorely humble and open for God to teach us and show us a new way. through the narratives of scriptures we see this human tendency the reason why we do that is because there's this initial thing when we go into a new place again it feels really vulnerable it's really uncomfortable it's really foreign it was exciting in the anticipation of it even on upon arrival it's it's exciting and it's new but But when you don't know the language and you don't know the culture and you don't have community, it can seem really foreign. So our tendency in the temptation is to say the foreignness of it, even though it offered me a great perspective and proposition, and this is what I once hoped for. Because it's so foreign and it's so uncomfortable initially, I'll return to my old place because it's comfortable and familiar. Have you done that in your life? Have you accepted the invitation of Jesus to step into something new and you arrived there? But because the initial newness and foreignness was so uncomfortable, even though it was what you hoped for, You returned to what was old. This is a story of Israel, right? God continues to bring them into new places and renew new covenants with them and give them fresh starts. And they respond well initially, but it's so uncomfortable. It's so hard at first. They'd rather return to their old idols. And we do that as people. But I'm here to tell you this morning, once again, Jesus offers us a new invitation to a fresh life, But are we willing to say, I'm no longer going to hang on to the old things. I'm willing to fully immerse myself in this new reality as if I know nothing. And say, Jesus, teach me everything. Teach me what it means to be a parent. Teach me what it means to be a friend. Teach me what it means to be a lover. Teach me what it means to be a business owner. Teach me what it means to be a coworker. Teach me what it means just to be an individual human being who's healthy on the inside. Teach me the new way of your kingdom that's unlike anything else. From my experience, he does it every time. Like I've come to this place, I I do two things. If you're taking notes, these are two things that can help you practically. I wake up in the morning and proactively, I try to do this as much as possible. I was doing this the whole way to church this morning. I say, God, help me. That's my prayer, so simple. God, help me. I was driving here. I went and got a coffee. I was driving here. I said, God, help me be a great pastor this morning. I'm not banking on my old strategies and thoughts and what I think it means to be a pastor. You know, you've showed me a lot. You've taken me a long way. But there's something new today that I want to step into. Show me what it means. Show me what it means to be patient. Show me what it means to to listen to people. Show me what it means to truly be present with people. I don't know. I need you to show me. And he does. The other thing, because this is what happens, again, we're in a process. Sometimes I listen to the leading and prompting of God, and sometimes I don't. Or I just miss it. Or just there's this, again, there's this chasm, you know something still seems erred or broken. And this is what I felt like God has prompted me reactively to do in those moments is to say to him, God, teach me. Show me what just happened and why it did, if you'd be willing to, if I can understand it. And show me how to move forward from here in the newness that you still have for me. How many of you know that life is full of error and failures and trials? and That's okay. Our hope is that we have a God who's full of grace and mercy and has newness for us, even in light of those failures and the hardships or whatever it might be. But the way that we step into that newness is we leave our old preconceptions about what it means to deal with those things behind us. And we step up to that table and we say, God, show me what it means to deal with these things in a new way, in a fresh way, where I experience the fullness of your presence and your plan for me. Are we willing to be truly disciples of Jesus? where we're just learners. We're just learners. This is the other practical thing. If you'd stand with me, we're gonna close in in prayer here in a minute. I wanna give you one more practical thing. Read one scripture to you. and we'll have a little bit of time for for singing and, and prayer. If you're a part of the prayer team, if you'd come forward to the front. This is the other real practical thing. If you're taking notes proactively, just in review, proactively, God help me. Reactively, God show me, God teach me. But then also this. Stop saying, and I'm talking to myself, stop saying that you're not blank or you can't blank. Like it's inconsistent with the promise that God has for us, that we would be new creations in Christ and that we would step into his coming kingdom. Now, I'm not saying that, like, I'm not ever gonna play in the NBA, just in case you're wondering or confused. There are, I mean, there, there are certain things where it's like, yeah, that's not gonna happen. But let me give you one specific thing. I'm not gonna go there. Connor, pull it together. Let's say that you are in a tough place as a married, in your marriage and you've said, I'll never be able to love her again or I'll never be able to love him again. You can believe that and you won't or you can put yourself vulnerably before God and say, God, I think there's a chance that there's a newness for my marriage. I don't know what it is, but I'm unwilling to say that it can't happen. And I need you to show me a new way. There has to be this shift in our perspective. There has to be this shift in this view of ourselves because Jesus has given us a new identity where we can be anything and everything that he's called and redeemed us to be if we're just willing to have the boldness to say, no matter what my external situations look like, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what I have to come up against, I can do whatever it is that God has prepared for me and his spirit has given me the power and the courage to do. So if you're not or you can't is in your vocabulary, you get to do whatever you get to do you're a grown person but my pastoral proposition to you this morning would be to take those words out because they're just limiting us to where we're at when God has something new for us Okay let me read this scripture to you This is Matthew 11:28 This might be familiar says this, these are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, listen to what he says, and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is life.